Welcome to this edition of the Disciples Men podcast with your host Greg Alexander and Alex Ruth. Thank you for joining us as we explore the many challenges of being man of faith in these challenging times. Disciples Men is a ministry of Disciples Home Missions of the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in the U.S. and Canada. Let's listen in today's conversation. All right, welcome to another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. This is Alex Ruth, your Associate Director of Disciples Men, and with us today, as always, we have our Director of Disciples Men, Greg Alexander. Greg, good to have you with us this afternoon. Great to be here, Alex. Always good to be with you. Really excited about our conversation today. I am as well. This is something that uh, uh, Greg and I have been looking to forward to for a little while now and glad that we're able to make a, a reality. Uh, today, we have a special guest with us, and it is Pastor, Pastor Terrell McTire. And uh, Terrell is the Minister of New Church Strategies with New Church Ministry with the Christian Church of Disciples of Christ. And Terrell, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Hanging out with two amazing men. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, I, I'd say that there's hopefully three amazing guys on the call, at least two. I'll yeah. exempt myself from that. Uh, uh, glad to have you with us today. That much more amazing in about an hour. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Terrell, uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Um, uh, but before we really get into that, uh, our listeners may not know who you are or what you do with the denomination or kind of how you got to where you are. Uh, so if, if you can, kind of give us the, an overview of, of how you got to where you are today, and, uh, and then we can talk a little bit more about um, what you do with New Church Ministry. Sure. I, I've changed careers so many times in my life. I originally went to college at the University of Kansas to study architectural engineering and got out, did some architecture and didn't want to do that anymore. So I went back to school to, um, to become an opera singer where I learned uh, voice and did a lot of great theater and singing for quite some time. And um, also uh, along the side of that, really worked on my gospel music career. Um, then I went back to school because I think I had lost a job, which catapulted me into um, entrepreneurship. And I was really good at it. So I was like, let me go get a degree. I always go get the degree for that, which I'm already practicing. <laughs> I've never really done it in the right order. Um, so then I went back to school and, and, and did that. And I've worked in nonprofit and corporate America and things like that to do business development and marketing and sales and uh, project management, all sorts of things like that. Um, then I started planting churches. And at first it was, um, came alongside of who I was as, as a musician, but then it went into the more pastoral side, which was a whole new animal. And um, I, I now am on the other side of this, having been a part of four different church plants and launching three of those. And the last one I launched alone with my family in Kansas City, Missouri. Um, soon after that, I discovered my new family, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and decided to uh, become in covenant with the Christian Church. And we had only been going for about two years when this position with the with the, the general ministries became available. I have to be honest. I don't remember applying for this job. <laughs> I, I was working. I didn't need a job. I don't know. I don't remember applying for this job. I had to have, but I don't remember actively filling out an application. But I got a call back and um, remember thinking to myself, there had to have been hundreds of people in line for this job who also were probably more qualified. So I just had fun with the process and was like, whatever happens, I don't, I don't really have anything to right. lose here. Um, and uh, at the end said, no. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. Came, came later to find out that from the very beginnings of this process of how they had really thought of me for this position. And um, so they, they came out and said, listen, we know you said no, but let's talk about this. We'd like you to come to Indianapolis and 
and let's let's think about this some more. Um, okay. So my wife at the time and I, we flew to Indianapolis and um, decided that let's let's explore this. And so we moved our four kids and our house and um, into Indianapolis and took some time there to get settled into this uh, position. Uh, so I I didn't I could not have designed myself being here today. I don't I don't know that I knew that such things like this existed, but I have not ever worked in any position or done anything that's so well mixed all of my skills, all of my spiritual gifts, all of my passions, mm -hmm. all into one position uh, for such incredible impact than what I do for you in this church. Wow. That is awesome. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it seems like one of those things where um, there was definitely a divine hand at work in that process. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I'm grateful. Yeah. Our, our relationship trail got off on a little bit shaky start. You may remember um, our first engagement when I was still serving as a regional minister in Kentucky. Uh, Terrell called me one day, wanted to take me to lunch. I told him no. I didn't, was not interested. And, um, and to his credit, and I mean this sincerely, he did not let my no um, remain a no. And I will be forever grateful that he didn't. Mm -hmm. And uh, he came to election, we had lunch. And, um, and from that moment on, I knew we were, I was sitting across the table from the real deal. Part of, part of Terrell, what Terrell brings is, is a uh, and I say this in a complimentary way, an out-of-the-box understanding of new church that, that was out-of-the-box for disciples. I don't know that's out-of-the-box for everybody, but it was out-of-the-box for the disciples, mm -hmm. in, in my judgment. And, and um, it was extremely refreshing. Uh, he, he is honest to the core. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, he uh, shares, um, you know, his honesty with you in ways that uh, you don't feel the pain <laughs> the pain of it when it's when it's meant to sting. Uh, I mean, again, I mean, that in a complimentary way, he brings just you bring Terrell so many wonderful gifts to us as disciples. Yeah. And and uh, I am for I will be forever grateful, you know, that uh, you didn't take my no uh, to be a no. And uh, you you blessed me. You blessed our church in some countless ways. And uh, I'm so grateful you're still here doing the work that you're doing. And it just keeps getting better and better. It. It does. It's, it's such an amazing, exciting time. Um, it's a dismal time in some ways, but I'm super excited about it. I, I appreciate that I was able to come in at a time where you were in leadership, Greg, because um, I, I needed help understanding and navigating exactly how to do that. And, I, you know, I often tell the story that growing up, disciples in Kansas City spoiled me because in Kansas, this is one city that has 85 disciples churches in one city. So you can almost get around to anywhere in one of our, um, to one of our churches in, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. And um, we were going through all this transition as a region and really trying to understand how to be covenant and family. And I left Kansas City thinking the whole church was like that. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't take long to discover that Kansas City had its uniquenesses. And um, yep. so taking the time to, to sit with like you and other members of the college and other um, parts of members of our family really helped me to understand the tremendous opportunities that were available here in the Christian church. So yeah. thank you. Terrell, you uh, have a, a role, obviously, which you work with and, and help uh, develop new church ministries and, and new church plants. Um, and I know you've got some, some big stuff coming up with your um, Leadership Academy here in the very near future, uh, about a month from uh, the time we're recording this. Um, tell us a little bit about what that looks like. Um, how do you go about um, creating that energy and, and starting new churches um, in our denomination? You know, um, I remember standing in my mirror and uh, the spirit said to me, establish the new church. Um, and I wrote it on my mirror, establish the new church. So that was a pivotal moment 
I had to either do the job I was hired for or do what I thought I was called to actually do. And I probably could have very well just done the, the things that they wanted me to continue doing, but I'm a, I'm a visionary. I'm a, you yes. know, so, and I'm prophetic, which, so God is speaking to me even before I, my feet land on the ground every morning. I'm going to have new ideas and fresh, you know, expressions of what God would have for us to do all the time. It does not stop. And so um, that leans, lends itself to a lot of different possibilities within the Christian church. Part of what I um, am very intentional about is I don't look for all the answers within us. There's answers outside of us because we all share, every industry share the same thing, whether we're talking about the restaurant industry, entertainment industry, nonprofit, corporations, the one thing we have in common is our human capital. Mm -hmm. All of us require human beings. So just under, so, so I go to a lot of different events and I draw from the knowledge of all the industries. For instance, when the pandemic hit, I wanted to know what was happening at the AMC movie theaters. How are they handling these issues? How are they, how are hotels handling these issues? How were, mm -hmm. and like all of these, all of us had to figure things out. So let's do this together um, is kind of where I'm, I'm thinking about that. But the idea of establishing the new church was much more of a vision than plant more churches. Mm -hmm. You know, so we had a great vision under the, um, uh, at the time leadership of Big Helm to say, hey, we're going to start a thousand churches a thousand different ways. Perfect vision for that time. Um, but I have been made very clear by the spirit that our, that starting churches and planting churches is a result and not a goal. So yes. it was great to have a goal at one time, but I'm not putting out there a goal in the same way, because to me, our, our focus should be on making disciples. And as we focus on making disciples, we will get new churches. We'll get transformed churches. We'll get a less racist church. We'll get um, more leaders developed. All of those things will be the result of a focus on our commandment, our commission, which is to love and which is to make disciples. So I approach this whole thing from that very high level strategic uh, area where I'm saying, nope, we're going to make disciples. And if churches come from that, fantastic and i'll be here to develop the right programming and resources to support those churches and i i hope that people catch the difference between starting a new church and starting mm -hmm. the new church huh, huh. one one are one is just a you know a bunch of smaller churches smaller clusters of believers the church is a whole new direction for the church to move for all of us who are disciples to go Yes. And I hope, I hope people understand the importance of that. I, I have said for a long time, you know, that the, that the church we inherited will not, will not live into the future. It's mm -hmm. not going there. It's not going with us. It already isn't. Right. So what, yeah. what will yeah. the church look like? What's the new spiritual uh, reformation that God is wanting to bring about? And that's one of the things I saw in you immediately, Terrell, that really won me over is uh, you are a person who has that sense of that, that spiritual reformation of whatever the, whatever the church yes. is going to be, God has called you to be one of the agents of making that happen. And I, and I so appreciate the distinction between starting a new church and starting the new church. The new church is for all of us. Yes. That's, yes. that's totally inclusive. Absolutely. In this, this notion of inclusivity, I don't, I don't understand why this has to be like an initiative. <laughs> you know, it's like, this is exactly... Yeah who we should be. I think at our core nature, all of us want to be included. So just empathetically, let's just operate from, from our human nature that the same way in which we would want to be included, we should do so with others. But for whatever reason, it's, it's, not, it's not natural. I don't also think, Greg, that people are able to make uh, that distinction 
between a new church and the new church well enough. And part of that is a focus on their church. Mm -hmm. So many of us are so hyper-focused on the issues within our local congregation that we're not paying attention to the way in which it um, is supporting the greater network. Even who we are as the Christian Church Disciples of Christ involved in the other hundreds of thousands of denominations yeah. within Christianity. You know, yeah. so we, we've got to be able to um, kind of step outside ourselves in order to do so. I've, I've often said, for me, the way the language I use for that distinction is that is that people are always focusing on growing their church when we ought to be focusing on growing the kingdom. Mm. And, uh, you know, when we're focused on growing the church, that means that I'm only concerned about me and mine. That's right. And when you're yeah. growing the kingdom, you're you're you shift focus to what uh, placing your care in, in that which God cares about and which God wants to bless. And it's a radically different way of looking at it. When we walk through the monologues and the dialogues with Jesus, Jesus is kingdom, 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 like constantly talking about kingdom. And sure, there's many theologies and understandings about what exactly kingdom was um, or is or will be. But it was obviously a, a very primary focus for, uh, for Christ. I would tell my congregants, never skip over ministry on the way to church <laughs> so if you have to minister like that's the whole purpose for being here is to be equipped to be minister so when you are called upon an opportunity to minister helping someone on the side of the road who needs assistance being with your children making love to your spouse all of that is ministry so don't yeah. over don't don't look over ministry just because you're so sold out to the commitment of this church, because then you make the church an idol. Hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I think uh, that that we've got some ties here that are probably important for us, and so let's kind of shift focus a smidge. Um, sure. What? do you see as uh, the implications of this kind of mindset that we're talking about, uh, of thinking larger um, than we normally do for men's ministry? Uh, a lot of, let me give some context. A lot of times what I hear is, how can we make men's ministry larger at our church? Or how can we restart a men's ministry in our church? And, what are some of the things um, that, that resonate with you on uh, kind of stepping back and, and saying it's not about those local expressions as it is about, again, this, this ministry and creation of disciples? Sure. You know, this is a tough question. I remember one time getting a vision of a church, a congregation that had more men in it than women. Um, and not just like men in leadership, <laughs> you know, but just like a real focus on, on men, because we find our churches elsewhere, whether it be, you know, in a sports arena, a barbershop or, um, you know, breakfast at McDonald's, we find those places. Um, and sometimes we don't really know our place inside, um, of, uh, of a church if, if we're in the pew not necessarily mm -hmm. just in the pulpit, but without going back into how obviously sold out, sold out I am about disciple making, like that should be just like a general focus right. that our churches are making disciples. And we look at the, the way Jesus did so, you know, there were times that Jesus would do so from a mountaintop to a large audience, but the majority of his, I would say his efficacy was in um, the times that he just gathered a group of friends and said, journey with me. Mm -hmm. And we need, we need that. We need that from one another. I need Greg as an older, we, you know, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about his retirement. You, you and I were saying, we, we, uh, we hope to be there one day, you know, right. you're showing us what our future, our amazing future could be about. 
you know, so we need those types of things. And in the same way, I would imagine he say that he needs some energies from young people or some yeah. even even sometimes some wisdom that is happening about how to yeah. navigate this, that, yes. the other. My young sons teach me so much stuff every single day about yeah, what it's like to be a, a person in this world. Like yes. new, new words, new languages, new things that they're having to deal with. And um, so th there's a lot of the, engaging in a disciple making process is really important. And it all goes back to what I call the law of first, that there was a great commission and there's a great commandment, but there's also a first commission and a first commandment. And it was very simple, be fruitful and multiply. Mm -hmm. Now, as men, <laughs> we've taken the practical practical application of that, and some of us have spread our seed <laughs> in irresponsible ways. Yes, yes. You know, and, um, you know, for that we should repent. But uh, there's also a spiritual responsibility than just having babies. Yes. And so how do we relate to the idea that we should be fruitful and that we should be multiplying. And what does that look like as far as walking alongside other brothers and engaging um, in the right relationships with, with younger brothers or older brothers? And uh, that's, a, that's a hard responsibility while also recognizing that we have done a lot of messed up, bad, toxic things mm -hmm. in the yes. masculinity. And um, we're trying, I'll speak for myself, I'm trying to figure out how not to be that way where that shows up, how I, you know, um, be the proper ally for women and, and things like that, while also recognizing the idea, the construct of what being a man is has changed and shifted and become more fluid, you know, so it, it's a really different time to think about what it means to have men's ministry. Um, so if we just pull some of the, the peculiar peculiarities of today's time out, we can go back to the basic and focusing on being amazing fruit bearers and multipliers. And I, I do believe, Terrell, that it's the peculiarities that get us in trouble. Is yeah. that, mm -hmm. you know, we, we all, you know, get lost in the conversation of I remember when. Right. And want to make the I remember when the norm for the, you know, the current reality that we're living in. And I, it seems like we can't seem to get back to the first that you just identified. Uh, I think that's what hangs us up, both from a new church standpoint, from a starting, you know, and how you do men's ministry standpoint. For some reason, it's hard for us to breathe the air of the day. And, you know, mm -hmm. and see, and see the, you know, the wonderful change and the beauty that's all around us, you know, and as we're becoming a more, you know, inclusive multicultural church, uh, you know, a more uh, focusing on, you know, uh, equality among all disciples and, and, uh, and the beauty that that brings to us. And it seems like we just can't let our minds and imaginations get there. We just keep tripping over. But I remember when, you know, when Mr. Smith was, you know, fixing pancakes and, you know, and sausage and Saturday mornings. And that's when all the guys showed up and, you know, we'd sit there and talk about sports all day and then go home, you know, and isn't that what men's ministry is all about? And for some reason, mm -hmm. that is so hard to overcome. And I know it's, it's true with you think when you're talking about new church, because people still have oh, that yes. brick and mortar yeah. place yeah. in yeah. mind. Yeah, I mean, when I think about the men who had an impact on my life, my father was absent. When I think about my grandfather, Papa taught me to be a gentleman to everyone. There was not a <laughs> distinction about being a gentleman to ladies. It was like, open the door for everyone, be kind to everyone, you know, compliment everyone. Like, it, it, he was just like the, 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 the epitome of gen gentlemanness. And so I related all those tools he taught me to the spirit, like the holy, I would often call the Holy Spirit, the Supreme Gentleman, because I just mm. look at like this graceful, inclusive way in which the spirit would, um, would treat all people and, and, and would get the point across, but still it was just like with such a, a, a sweetness that you, you know, you couldn't help but come, come away from that so much more in love. And I think about the, the, um, the pastors who were in my life and the musicians who were in my life, just these men 
who were helping to raise me um, in, in many, many different ways. And what they all did was what I would encourage us to do today. Focus on my strengths rather than my weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So the idea of leadership today is there's some constructs there that need to be unlearned. So before you get into learning leadership, let's talk about what we're going to unlearn about leadership. <laughs> you know, so go through a, 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 a unlearning of leadership. And one of the things we have to unlearn is our, our, our colonialistic ways. Yes. So we are very colonialistic, especially in the church of the United States. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say even Canada as well. Um, and, and so in trying not to be that way so much, it really does benefit us to not focus on the needs. I know that's biblical and there's, there's a lot of need-based theology and it makes a lot of sense. Um, but not to say that is gone. We shouldn't do that at all. But when I'm talking about growing an effective men's ministry and, and what's needing in order for the flourishing of us as, as men, I would encourage us to focus on the assets of other human beings, of other men. Like, how do we get together based off of the ways in which we're strong, the ways in which we're talented, the ways in which we're skilled, um, and let that be the thing that we lead, not just looking for the man that's on drugs or the man that's not taking care of his kids or the man that, you know, is is um, doing this, that, and the other, and we're going to go and fix this man and be make him into a man. It's like, no, that's, that's not... That's there's that's not the only way. Yep. I would say it's a way that often devalues that person as they are. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, years ago, I ran into a, an article um, that described uh, modes of service, and the ideal for service was was to get to a point where you see the person you're serving as your friend. Hmm. You're, you're serving them simply because they are a person right? and not because I need to fix something about them, not that there's anything wrong with them, but I serve them because it's a person. Um, this is a, a create, one of God's beloved children. Yeah. Um, and that, has, that ideal um, of not trying to fix somebody else, but loving them where they are, allows for a lot of transformation to begin to happen. Well, I think we were trained to be as boys, fixers, solution oriented, always working on something, always doing something. And when you weren't, you were depicted as lazy, um, you know, all the, all these different things. So there's some, some cultural nuances to that, that need to be again, unlearned and, and corrected. And so being able to focus on, on the ways in which someone is, is um, strong doesn't overlook their weaknesses. That should be, but I, even in community development, we teach this with new churches, that there's a, a paradigm called ABCD, asset-based community development. And it is not, we're going to go into this community and fix this community based off of what their needs are. It's like, we're going to partner with this community based off of where they actually have assets. And all of us have them. All of us have spiritual giftings. In all of my churches, we were equipping churches. The very first thing I wanted to know is what are you good at and how can I make you better at it? I'm curious, Terrell, one of the things that we're hearing, based on what you just said, one of the things that we're hearing from, especially some of our younger guys, is that they're having a hard time identifying a, a role for the uniqueness of a men's ministry, that they, mm -hmm. you know, that they see themselves more, more family oriented and find attending a men's event of whatever kind it is, as, a, as a taking away from something more important with family. You know, you're you're a family guy. You got you got young kids. What? How does that play in your mind and in your ministry? Do you still see a place for that kind of uniqueness? Uh, you know, of gender uniqueness, or are you know, or have we really grown past that and haven't acknowledged it? 
Yeah, we, we definitely have a, a specific role. We were uniquely made differently um, and unapologetically differently, you know? So I, I don't think that, I don't think God made humans universally asexual. You know what I mean? So we, we have a uniqueness, uniqueness for some purpose of God's. Um, so understanding that discovery is really super important. Uh, but there's a version of the Great Commission, a translation of it that says, rather than go and make disciples, it says, as you go, make disciples, which says disciple making or men's ministry or youth ministry is not a program. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a lifestyle. So we get together as men, and we do what we do as men, and we do what we do as Christians and as disciple makers, as we live life together. Not the function that we show up for at seven o'clock a.m. on Saturday. Like yeah, that's a part of it, um, or whatever. But it's it's like I need the wisdom of you all in how to be a, a father. I need the wisdom of you of how to be a better businessman, how to be a better citizen how do i be a good pastor like i need my i need my brothers to be able to um do that and there are some unique ways that we experience life that are just not true for um for female identifying individuals so you have to take in those um uniquenesses and one of the constructs i try to help people understand is that for me i never really was ever bivocational so today is probably like the only time in my life i've only worked one job that so happens to also be business and ministry all my life i have been what people consider bivocational always working in corporate america and always had a church job um, at the same time um, as a musician but i think what is better is the idea of becoming transvocational so the, the, the prefix of trans means to go beyond. Transvocational says that I don't take off my business hat to become a spiritual person. I don't take off my spiritual hat to become secular. I show up fully who I am and as I am in every aspect of who I am, which means that as a husband, I'm also a father. I'm also a business person. I'm also a provider. I'm also a business. Like all of those things show up in the way I relate to my partner, uh, the, the way I relate to my children, like I, I, I'm not just no longer Pastor Terrell when I'm having to discipline my kids. You know, when, when I show up as Pastor Terrell on Sunday morning, I'm bringing that loving father, I'm bringing that, that, uh, that who I am as a partner, who I am, am as, a, as a volunteer in the community, all of that works together. And when we think about the transvocation of our life, then it's not just like a, a clocking out and clocking in of these compartmental of compartments. It is seeing the way in which every bit of who we are and everything we do all works together and is interdependent of each other. Wow. Yeah. I just, I just took a lot of notes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there were at least two of us writing that yeah. down. Um, <laughs> What a great response. Thank you, Terrell. Yes, thank you so much. I, I think that that it, it points to or um, maybe even grows out of uh, in me, my understanding of that grows out of some of my understanding of uh, some generational things that, that have been happening over the last period of time. So um Millennials, Gen Z, uh, Gen Alpha, we're starting to see with those groups, maybe more so than anyone's before, a real acknowledgement and awareness of authenticity. Um, those groups are holding those of us that are a little bit older and maybe learn to compartmentalize um, or trained in that kind of a, a mindset to say, we don't want you to be different for different roles that you play. We want you to be, like you said, fully yourself in all those roles. Um, and that authenticity and um, um, transparency um, mm. in leadership are, is something that um, started to see show up in discussions outside of the church, certainly, um, even 15, 20 years ago. Right. 
Yeah, it's, I, I, I agree. I'm being trained on this daily by my teenage children, you know, yeah. um, and challenged by it as well, because there's just not certain ways I want to demonstrate. There's not certain aspects of who I am that I want to demonstrate before my children. Right. Although they, they exist, exist, and you have to make those type of, of um, judgment calls. The same is true um, when I am a minister. So being that I travel so much, I get asked, what do you do a lot, you know, and I almost, I just had to keep it real. I, I don't care for talking to my Uber drivers <laughs> and I don't, I don't care to have conversations on a plane. You know, I, I want to just like zone out. I'm not having to drive this thing. Let, let me just sit here in silence. Um, because the introversion part of me kicks over and I just need to refuel. But sure enough, the anointing of who I am <laughs> somehow draws in these conversations. And so I could be sitting at a bar, sitting in a club, sitting on a plane, sitting in an Uber, and that question will come up and I'll always have to decide how I'm going to answer it, um, depending on who it is. Maybe someone believe you shouldn't do that. But what I don't want is for them to automatically create who I am based off of my title. Yeah. I want them to be authentic and let's have authentic conversation and authentic interaction. And yeah. later them discover some difference of me that they could attribute to my Christian, um, me being a Christian or me being a minister, but also to be able to show up and say, yes, I'm a minister and I've been through depression. Yes, I'm a minister and I've, um, right. you know, and I've had addictions that I've had to live with and struggle through. Yes, I'm a minister and I'm managing chronic illnesses. You know, like I'm still human. How do how do we right. make this humanness, this authenticity a part of our brand today without also um, completely um, dismantling the holiness the responsibility for holiness and righteousness that is also a part of this uh, mantle. Mm -hmm. I haven't figured any of that out. I'm just trying to practice <laughs> how to do that on a daily basis. Oh, gun it. I was hoping you had all the answers. <laughs> yeah. It, I, I think I'm, I, I, I'm fully with you. Let me ask if this captures it too. And that is, I think when I was, you know, I grew up in a different time, older, I'm older, I grew up a little bit different time than you guys. And, and clearly there were role expectations. I mean, there were just absolute expectations that came with being who you are. And, right. um, and everybody knew what those roles were. And, you know, society itself reinforced to some degree life in those roles. What I think I'm observing today, especially in these younger in younger generations, is those role identities that were once sort of scripted socially or culturally aren't present anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, and yet the church has failed is failing, I think, to embrace that as for somehow it's it makes us less faithful by embracing a non-traditional role of what it means to follow Christ. And um, you know, again, I, I, I still have a whole lot of un, unpacking of, of stuff in my life from those years, uh, you know, that's going on. But the cool thing is, is I feel like I have permission now. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think I ever felt like I had permission before. Right? Oh, God, that's good, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, so what, you, what, what we are identifying here is the new cultural norm. And culture um, has encompasses religion, fashion, music, art, uh, you know, all these uh, language, all of those things together. And no one owns anything anymore. No segment owns anything. I, you know, like I tell my son, like, pink is not a girl's color. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Women don't own the color pink. You know, if you, that's how you feel comfortable showing up, then just rock it with excellence and we'll right. be good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. right. language is another one of those part of those things. Um, this isn't what I'm about to say is probably not popular, but it's honest since we're deciding to be authentic for these few minutes. I don't personally um, choose to ever identify my pronouns. 
And my purpose for that is not that I'm against the idea of why someone is trying to do that for inclusive or clarifying purposes, but I've decided that if you, for whatever reason, call me the wrong pronoun, I'm not offended by being called a woman. It might actually be in some, <laughs> in some ways an honor. It's like, I, yes. I don't know what just showed up for you, but unless you're weaponizing that, that term, then the accident or the decision to say, I'm experiencing him as a she today, I'm experiencing him as a them today, I'm experiencing him as a him today, is not something that should be offensive. And so that goes back into that permission. Like I have permission now to show up as everything or anything or nothing. Mm -hmm. And so for me, my, my number one symbol, the, the, if I had to get a tattoo, it would be an ampersand because I'm living in that, that the end of it all. So it's like, yes, I am this comma, this comma, this comma, this comma. And I have permission now to just be all of those things and yeah. none of them threaten one another and none of them threaten who you are. So that this is a great this is a great time. It's challenging, but it is a great time. Yeah. And, I, and, and they're hard, you know. I mean, these these things are so hardwired into us, uh, you know. Especially old, the older that you are, and I think that's one of the the big struggle. I haven't thought about this before, Alex, but I think this is one of the big issues we keep bumping into. And you know, I, you know, we we have wonderful curriculum. That I think that really does what we we're talking about in this conversation. But I don't think I think that most guys are afraid or do not feel permission, you know, to begin to explore themselves beyond the roles that have been, they've been cast in their whole lives. And for me, it's, it's, it's freedom and adventure. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's just release. And, and clearly for a number of men, it's, it's threat. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it threatens their own sense of self and, and sense of masculinity. Yes. What, they, mm -hmm. what they've been told masculinity is yep. if your if your men's ministry invited me on a fishing trip, I, I can't I can't do that with you. <laughs> now, if your ministry invited me to get together and let's cook the fish. I'm there for that. I'm a fantastic cook. My <laughs> grandfather was a cook and I cook for my children all the time. I'm the, I've been the primary cook for my right. household. You know what I mean? And there are men, we can understand that there are chefs that are men, but the idea of having to cook in our home somehow becomes less manly. That's, that's so odd. You know, yeah, so yeah. I hear you saying, let's discover, let's explore the other parts of who we are as men and give ourselves permission to safely do that and, and be those things and be those things together. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, uh, you know, that's I've been privileged because, you know, the men's ministry over the years I've been involved with it so long is I've had I've had men who made that journey before I ever thought about it. And, mm. you know, we're we're not we're coaches, mentors, you know, permission givers, uh, you know, models and all that kind of stuff. And and they left it up to me to make the decision as to what value I would take away from what the gifts they gave me. And now I've had time to process and see and own. Uh, you know, those gifts. And I thank God for their influence on me and, uh, you know, the work and project process that I still am. You know, and I, I, get, I confess that I've tried to find what the, you know, kind of the magic wand, you know, for our ministry that, uh, yeah. you know, to help other men experience that. And, and I think I'm coming to realize that it kind of just happens one relationship at a time. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have relationships as I've enjoyed over the years, I've been so blessed with so many extraordinary people. And I, and I hope I've honored, you know, what these folks have given me. I hope I've honored what the two of you have given me. And, uh, you know, but that's not the same mindset that so many people that we work with, men and women, you know, in our churches embrace. And I just don't know, you know, I, it gets frustrating to me as, uh, as to why there are so many obstacles, it seems you know, to, uh, to helping people embrace this extraordinary gift of being fully human, being fully ourselves, you know, yeah. that God has given us. And, um, I, you know, that's my confession for today about, <laughs> you know, kind of the, the, the whole, why it's so difficult for us to help people get there. And yeah. I don't, I don't know. There's a lot of, there seems to be a lot of barriers, but I, I will say if we're going to make a change, uh, we should focus on, 
principles and our practices. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what, what are our core principles that we will share? What are our values that we will come around and let us have multiple expressions of those principles and values? Uh, but what, what, what our principle as a human or as a man will be shared. So this morning I was on a conversation with, uh, with a future church planter that's, oh my God, is so great. And he's planting a church with his daughter. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's real, he's really super excited about it. And um, I, he came to me to saying, hey, I think I'm going to start a church. I met him over a year ago. Um, at a workshop, and he said, God is leading me to, uh, to say, I'm going to pray for you. This man has prayed for me every week, reached out to me every week since then, never failing mm. to keep his word, keep his commitment um, to stay in touch with me and ask me what my prayer requests are, and then send me a prayer every single week. He has never missed a week. There's wow. a principle there yeah. that we should share. And that was his way of practicing that principle. But the principle of the, uh, the of loyalty, of commitment, of character, of keeping yeah. your word is, is where we need to, um, is what we need to center. So as I was conversing with him, I said, you know, you're thinking about this whole church planting thing in the wrong order. In today's culture, we say we're going to start a church. We go look for a building and start gathering people and get a salary. That's the wrong order. Your focus right now is on building one-on-one -on -one relationships, understanding those relationships, spending a lot of time and energy into those relationships. As you do that, there will become almost, almost more relationships than you can manage. And they will, you will start to see commonalities within those relationships, um, circles within those varying sects of relationships. Take, and then those commonalities, those collectives will then begin to demand congregation. And at the point that the collective demands congregation, then you have what we would understand traditionally today as a church. But your initial focus is on disciple making, not on starting a church. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and I love how that, you know, is easily transmittable over to, you know, again, our focus of men's ministry. It's the same kind of thing. Yeah. You're not right. focusing on trying to start a men's ministry. You're making relationships. You're spending time with, with other people. Uh, and at the point in time when that community, when that collective requires that, that coming together in a different way, that's when you have, you know, a, a, a ministry that is, is right. going to be able to stand on its own and, and take on some. An organization. Uh, See, the, yeah. the, the organism has to organically create the organization. We right. can't just decide, oh, we're going to put an announcement out and then we're going to have a men's ministry. Let me ask you this. Have you invited, do you have a best friend that's a man? Yeah. Have you ever, has he ever participated in the works of this ministry? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I imagine our growth starts with those who are most close to us. You know, yeah. it's not a men's ministry as though my eight-year-old son couldn't come. It's not a men's ministry as though we're doing something so religious that my non-church going best friend couldn't come and participate. Like, how do we just live life together um, yeah. as men? And I know we need that time apart from yes. to, to just be able to decompress and not have on all these. So if we build the men's ministry in a way that we have to show up masculine, that that most that's that's the feeding work. The, yeah, the, the cathartic nature of what we are able to um, uh, accomplish. I hate yeah. even that word. I don't even want to use the word accomplish. The, um, the outcome of what could happen there. Right. It's, it's actually the antithesis to what we're trying to achieve. I mean, that, exactly. that, that is what blocks the spiritual dynamic within each of us. And uh, again, in, in the work we've done with men, that's the prime obstacle. Is that yeah. we just we, we can't seem to find ways to let the spirit in. And let the spirit do the work the spirit's uniquely designed to do within us. And, so what um, I would ask is, um, of the men that you have, ask them, what is something that you're doing over the next 30 days 
that I can come to and part participate in with you. And yep. the five of us, we're just gonna. Oh, you're you're teaching. You're you're um you're a a coach for your son's basketball. Can we just show up and just sit there with you? It has nothing to do with your son. We just want to cheerlead for the coach yeah. to know that you yeah. have that you have someone who's here with you and maybe we'll, you know, grab a piece of chicken afterwards. I don't know. You know, what do you, what do you have coming up? Oh, I'm going to be, um, I, I need to go by and take care of my mother because she's not doing well. Can we come with you? So it, it's finding those opportunities to be mm -hmm. with one another, mm -hmm. not scheduling them, discovering them. Yeah. And that's yeah. the make disciples as you go, which you yeah, began this with, uh, in yeah. how it plays out. Beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, Terrell, we've kept you for about an hour, and I know that uh, I know that your time is very precious, and I I hope we get a chance to schedule you back in. Um, yes, it's, it's just really a, really a blessing for us to have this conversation and time with you, and you are such a blessing to our church and really to every every life you touch. And we thank you for that. And uh, again, thank you for giving us some extraordinary time today and for your ministry. It's my pleasure. Listen, if you have something coming up, I'd love to be there with you. So invite me. <laughs> All right. That's good. You we'll definitely do that, Terrell. Thank you. <laughs> Everybody else, thank you for your time and listening in on our conversation today. We'll catch you soon on another edition of the Disciples Men podcast. Our special thanks to our good friend, the Reverend Dr. Dean Phelps, for providing the special music of this podcast. You can discover more of Dean's music at deanphelpsmusic.com. And you can learn more about the ministry of Disciples Men on Facebook and through discipleshomemissions.org.